morning our scripture reading comes to us from Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, and I'll read the whole chapter. It's a well-known passage, well-known story of Lot and Sodom. Genesis chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. And wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. And then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, All the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters whom have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And you may do to them as you wish, only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And then they said, "This, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. And now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them. And shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son in law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishments of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass that when they had brought him outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain." Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. 
Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that it will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Adam went early in the morning to the place, or sorry, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Uh, this far, our reading uh, of Scripture. Dear congregation, Lot moved into the city of Sodom. But what happens when Sodom moves into our city? See, Lot was drawn to Sodom by his own desires. He had much cattle, so he, he saw great business prospects. Not only, the, not only the fertile land, but also the people that lived here. But it ended up costing him everything. It costed him his business. It costed him his wife, his sons-in-laws, and his health. But what happens when the city of Sodom is imposed on us and it costs us our business and our families and our health? Lot was warned to flee from the city of, from God before he destroyed it. What do we do when there's nowhere else to flee? What do we do when Sodom moves in. That's the theme of our sermon this morning, when Sodom moves in. Now I want to consider first the effects. The effects. What effect does it have when Sodom moves in? Because Sodom here was a city that was given to great wickedness. In Genesis 18, the chapter before, in verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now 
and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. There is a great cry of anguish, of distress, rising up to God out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These were shouts of of accusations because of the unbearable wickedness that was being committed. This is a cry for justice and for help and truth. Like God said to Cain in Genesis 4 after he killed Abel, that the voice of your brother's blood cries out from me to the gro- from the ground. God, as a judge of all the earth, is now coming in judgment to answer these cries. And God, the God of all, the, the judge of all the earth, will also do the same in Christ when He comes in the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead at the end of the world. And then we know there's no place to hide, no city to run to, no mountain to crawl under when the Lord comes in judgment. Verse 1, it says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting there in the gate of the city. And Lot invites these two guests to stay with him because Lot knew the state of the city. He knew the wickedness of the city. In Second Peter 2, it says, Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He knew the danger. And yet these angels, they tested him and said, no, we want to sleep in the open square of the city. They want to sleep in the center. But Lot strongly insisted, and he urged them to come into the safety of his house. The wickedness was so great that it was not safe for a stranger to enter the city. It's like the days of Noah in Genesis 6. It says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the heart, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. Their lives were inclined to all kinds of evils continually. And then we read in verse 4 that now before they lay down, the, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. Here these men were so consumed by their vile lust that the mob of people came with the intent of gang-raping these visitors. There was such violence, such hatred, such disobedience to authority that it was too dangerous even to be in the streets at night, even to visit a friend's house in the city. We all know that there are certain cities and certain areas of cities that you don't go at night. It's too dangerous. There are certain countries where the gangs or the mobs, they they rule the country effectively because of their wickedness, their violence. So how thankful we need to be in a country like this where there is still law and order, but how careful we must be to maintain that law and order. But the question is, how did Sodom and Gomorrah get to this place? 
God's judgment was coming upon the city, it says. But we can read in Romans 1, verse 18, it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, who, who hold down the truth of God, who try to hide the truth of God, even though they have the clear evidence that God exists, but they reject God and His law. Is that not what's happening in our own country? Romans 1 verse 20, it goes on to say, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 26 goes on to say that for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them over to the passions, the lust, the sins of their hearts. For even the women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And so Paul is outlining the progression of how wickedness con continues to increase as, as the people forsake God and as God gives them over to that wickedness, as they reject God and He gives them over to their sinful desires. And the end of Romans 1 verse 28 sums it up what that is, ends up being like. Verse 28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, and to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, they're backbiters, they're haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Not only those who practice those sins, but, but those who approve and promote the sins that others are committing. That's exactly what's happening here today, especially during these events of June associated with Pride Month, as they call it, from government organizations to sports teams to, to businesses and, and schools. They, they approve and they promote what God considers exceedingly wicked and unbearable. And the city of Sodom is then an example of what effect this will have on today's society if this continues. Sodom was the epitome of a society giving over to a debased mind where lawlessness abounds, where the law of God has been forsaken, not only forgotten. It was not safe for a stranger to enter that city. And then you see the effect on Lot who was considered still a righteous man, a saved man. When he lived in a city that long, he even tried to appease this mob by offering them his own daughters to abuse. 
But the, the wickedness that his people so much, they would not even take that. They were so perverse, they could only think about their unnatural lust that burns in their hearts. And you see that the progression when people lose the design of God of marriage, of man and woman, and they pursue their lusts, and then the, the natural use no longer satisfies them because there's an there's a, unnatural craving, a burning that it pursues them and that they pursue. And so they try to break into this house to try to drag these men out for their own fulfillment. Now June is a so-called pride month. And I recently learned that it's originated in 1969 at a Stonewall bar where eight police officers were called to respond to uh, something that was happening there. And the mob turned on the police where hundreds of people became violent, causing the police to hide themselves in the building. And the people proceeded to throw rocks and even tried to set the building on fire trying to kill the policemen. That is the, the root, the source of this month they call pride, where they say they're standing up for their rights, where indeed it's standing up in lawlessness against what is right. There is a great wickedness that we see, the similarity to what, is happening, what happened in, in Sodom, in Ron Lot's house, to what happened here in Stonewall, to what's happening now in this world. And that's the nature of fleshly lust. It has no limits. It has only one aim and that is to gratify itself with no regard for God or others, no regard for authority or law. And this is why, in the other sermons I've preached recently, Paul urges us to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our soul, because that's where it begins. Fleshly lusts and passions do not take no for an answer. That is why they fight so hard, because they can't take no for an answer. It cannot be subject to God and His law, but they must be mortified. They must be put to death through the Spirit of God. And so we see here that the effect of Sodom moving into our society is moral anarchy. But then secondly, we see the warning, not only the effect, but the warning the warning for when Sodom moves in. The first warning then is to avoid or to resist and flee from all evil. The first warning came to Lot to flee from the city in verse 12. And he says, then the men said to Lot, have you here anyone else? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. See, Lot initially came to the city because he was attracted by the river valley that, that offered so much grass for his herds. There was good business prospects. There was a place to graze and a place to sell in the market close by with these cities, and it seemed like a perfect place. And then later you see Lot, he moves into the city, and you see the men sitting in the, in the gate. And the gate of the city is a place of commercial trade. It's a place where legal business happens. It's the, the center of the governing of the, of the city. And so Lot seems to have had a prominent position here in the city. And on the one hand, that's commendable to be an influence in our society and a voice for good. But we also know that evil c c company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
And Lot's desire for gain made him compromise his faith and his life. And we see what happened as he gave his daughters to unbelieving men to marry. Do not give your children to unbelievers. He neglected his duty as a father. And then he even tried to appease the mob by more sin. When he, when he failed to protect his daughters again and offered them to the mob, who knows what would happen to them there? But his own daughters were also affected by these sins, as you can read later on in the chapter. Their own morality had been compromised. And a large reason for much of the promotion and the advertisement that we see, especially this month in the world, is because it promises good business. People don't want to be left out. People don't want to seem like a bad person or bad company. It it acts like it's trying to be inclusive and and tolerant. But it is mob violence in a different form and on a global scale. It's all seeking to destroy what is good and what is right and trying to gratify their own lusts. It's no longer surrounding a house. Now it's trying to surround the world with all its violence in these forms. We cannot flee this city like Lot did to escape it. But the focus in God's Word is always specifically to direct us to our own heart to flee from all the sin in our heart and in this world and to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ alone who can deliver us from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the pollution of sin, and ultimately from the punishment of sin as well. Because though we try to flee from one city, Sodom already lives in our hearts to a certain extent. We're all born in sin and iniquity, but God will deliver you from them out of the middle of this sin. And Jesus, He prayed also for His disciples in John 17, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, that you should keep them from the evil one. And so it is for His people, God keeps them from the wicked one in the midst of a wicked world, so that they can be a shining light in the midst of a crooked and a perverse world. So the first warning then is to, uh, to flee ourselves individually, the sins of our own hearts and the temptations around us. But secondly, the warning that judgment is coming. The warning that judgment is coming. In verse 14, Lot warned his sons-in-law that the city would be destroyed. What an extra privilege that is for every one of us here to hear continually that we must be that we're warned to flee from the wrath of God to come, that there is a place to go, that there is a Savior to whom we can go. And here Lot said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. And isn't that what it is sometimes when you speak to, to people in this world, or sometimes it seems like even people in our own church, it seems like you're joking. They don't take seriously that the, the wrath of God is coming. But for Sodom, it might have been the first time that many of these people even heard this warning. Although it does appear that they were aware that in, in, in verse 8, or where did we read that? that they, they, they said that uh, Lot had been speaking to them since he moved into the city. But the gospel certainly was not preached as we have it here now. 
But in Romans 1 verse 20 says they're all without excuse. That even many in Sodom would not have heard this warning. They knew enough about God, either from creation that showed the glory of God or, or the stories passed down uh, since Noah's day. And the same call goes out into all the world today. And the same call goes out to us here this morning that says flee from the wrath of God to come. It says repent and turn from your sins for why would you die? Why would you sit here and not listen to the word of God when you know that one day you must meet God? The judgment of God is coming. And the very fact that God is giving over the nations to their own sinful desires is a judgment of God falling on the world already. But the day is coming when all that wickedness will be destroyed, when there will be a global judgment day, not just a city judgment, but a global judgment for the global uprising against God. But even God's people need to be stirred up to flee from sin. Because how often does the Bible not tell, warn His people that they are so at ease in Zion, that they're living in luxury when this world is perishing, when they're, not, when they're building their own houses instead of God's house. And verse 15 says, The angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Is that not a warning for us to pull our children out of the world where we can, and to warn them and to teach them? Lest you be consumed. He says, while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hands, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. The Lord being merciful to them. Because if they would have stayed, if the Lord would have left them, they would have stayed too. How often do we linger? How often do we know in our conscience that we are doing something we should not? How often in our conscience do we know we should be doing something and we don't? How often do we not want to come to worship God or to put away the sins of this world because something has attached to us, something we're not ready to let go in this world? But what a mercy of God when in His grace He he lays hold on your heart. He grabs you, that word means, and He pulls you away from the sin of this world with that irresistible power of His Holy Spirit and He draws you from that darkness into His marvelous light. Because only God by His Spirit can break that hold of sin that has on your heart and life. And then this message to all to hear today, because today is a day of grace. Today, he said and we sang, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not block your ears to God, but turn from your sin and flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the warning continues now then, for those who reject the gospel and who turn away from it. Because there are many who do that as well. The angel grabbed both his wife and his daughters. And today the gospel comes to everyone, especially here and wherever it is preached today. And both the promises of salvation and the obligation to flee to Christ for that salvation is held out to you again today. And the angel said in verse 17, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the plain. 
because he knows how quickly we want to stop. It is so hard fighting against sin. We so quickly want to sit in our easy chair and, and enjoy the little peace that we have. We want to stop running. We st- want to stop fleeing and fighting temptation. But in verse 26, his wife looked back behind her, and she became a pillar of salt. And Jesus uses this as a warning in Luke 17. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve their life in this world will lose it, he says. And Jesus calls us to forsake all and follow him. For Lot, that was literal. He lost, he lost his farm, his, his family, his health, his wife. And for us and for many in this world, it's also often a literal losing. And when we have to die at the end of our life, we have to part with everything. But whoever looks back trying to save the things of this world will lose their life. Whoever's heart is attached to this world instead of to Christ will lose their life eternally. How many people start off as Christians, and they they look like they're Christians, they live like they're Christians, they go to church and they participate, and yet they look back because their heart is still in the world. They will follow God as long as there's the promises, and as long as there's the blessings, and as long as it doesn't cost them anything. But their heart is still attached to Sodom. How is it in your life? Where is your heart? Because Jesus said in Luke 10, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for those who have heard the way of salvation and rejected it. Because you have much more than Sodom ever did. These sons-in-law of Lot maybe heard at once that the city would be destroyed. You've heard it since you were born. Since you had ears to hear and to receive the words from your parents, you've heard that God is coming. It would be more tolerable for Sodom in that day of judgment than for those who have heard the way of salvation and rejected it. So the question is, have you fled for refuge to Jesus Christ? Have you taken your children to Jesus Christ? Have you grabbed them by the hand and led them to the Lord? Or in everything you do, can it be seen that you're looking back at this world? Because then the next warning is that judgment delayed is not judgment canceled. Judgment delayed is not judgment canceled. Maybe you think, especially young people can think this, I still have time. Now this is kind of boring for me. I would rather live in the world for a while. God can save me later. You think, well, the world's maybe not as bad as Sodom, so the end can't be near yet. Maybe you want to live it up a little first. Maybe you think you still have time. You get so many warnings, you can wait for the next one. And you think God is patient. But a judgment delayed is not a judgment canceled. Those angels came to Sodom 
unexpected and unannounced. And the Lord of glory will come in the clouds of heaven, unexpected and unannounced. Or the day of her death will come unexpected and unannounced. At a day and an hour that we do not expect. There was a little time, yes, the angel stayed for one night. And they sent Lot to warn his son-in-law, his sons-in-law. And again today, I may bring that warning to you in love from God, because we don't know the day or the hour. And it's easy to point fingers at the unbelieving world and say, look at them, look at them, what they're doing. But we must all be saved. For Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Romans 2 says, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Today, God's wrath is like a dam holding water. It's being held back. But one day that dam will burst. These are some warnings now because Sodom has not only moved into the world, but Sodom lives in our hearts by nature. And we must flee, flee from the wrath to come. But that leaves us thirdly with the hope. The hope that we have, even though Sodom moves in. And the first is the hope of God's abiding promise in Christ. That even when the fire and brimstone were raining down on Sodom, that there is hope. That God's goodness does lead sinners to repentance. Lot and his daughters were spared. That even though the rainbow name and the colors are being flaunted as a symbol of pride and inclusion in our nation today, the real rainbow is a sign that is still pointing to God's covenant of grace. That with with that amazing display of colors and brilliance in the sky, there's that rich symbolism that God declares to us that He knows that this world is fallen in sin and iniquity as sinful as Sodom. He knows that the thoughts of our hearts are only evil from our youth. He knows that every heart is born at enmity with God. And that the revolting against God and His law is natural to all of our human hearts. And the pride flags and whatever we see happening in the world today are only a display of what lives in all of our hearts by nature. That pride and that enmity against God, our Creator, And the destruction of the world through the flood during the time of Noah and the destruction of Sodom by fire are indications of what we all deserve because of our sin. They're the warning of God's eternal judgment coming upon all the ungodly in hell forever. And unless we repent, we will all likewise perish as Sodom did, as Jesus said in Luke 13. But there is hope. Because God has made a better way through Jesus Christ. 
When God said in Genesis 9 that He sets His rainbow in the clouds as a sign that He will never again destroy the world with the flood, that rainbow is a reminder that God in Jesus Christ has not come to destroy, but to save, to save people from their sins. The lives of every person is already destroyed because of our own sin. And if Jesus Christ had not come, then every person would face that wrath of God forever and ever. But that rainbow is a part of the unveiling of the covenant of grace, revealing that there's a way for sinners to be saved from God's wrath, where Jesus Christ has come to live a perfect life without sin in the place of His people, that He has come to die under the wrath of God to take the punishment for sin, including the sins committed in Sodom and in this world. And so there's hope of God's abiding promise that all those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved from all their sin, including the sins of homosexuality or transgenderism or violence against God and against His church or whatever other sin it may be. And there's hope because God, by His Spirit, promises to give grace to overcome these sins in our hearts, these lusts in our hearts that war against our soul. And the question is, do we need that God today? Do we need that salvation and that hope that He extends to the world in the midst of this wickedness? You see, secondly, then, the hope of Christ's intercession for the righteous. Because there's hope in the intercession of Christ who is now in heaven interceding and praying for His people for those who are found righteous in Christ, those who have fled for refuge in Christ, those who have found their their safety in the tower of Christ, because God has not forgotten His people who suffer and who live in the midst of this world. In Genesis 18, Abraham interceded for the city and for Lot specifically was on his mind. He did not want Lot to be destroyed of the city. And even though God destroyed the city because Lot was the only righteous one, He delivered Lot. And he delivered even his daughters. And his wife even had the chance. And so did his sons-in-law, but they turned it away. And that even though this world will come to an end, and all wickedness will be cast into everlasting perdition, into that everlasting fire, it says, prepared for the devil and for his angels, God will deliver the righteous from out of the midst of it. That even though God says that lawlessness will abound, And as Matthew 24 says, and there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. And that if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And even as the Lord Jesus says that in this world you shall have tribulation, He says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world That even though Jesus says you will be hated and persecuted of all nations for my name's sake, he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Christ will continue to build his church in the middle of this Sodom, of this world. And that means sinners will be saved and delivered and snatched out of the burning. And that should bring us in intercessory prayer to God to help and to deliver His people who are surrounded by wickedness and by persecution in the persecuted countries and and here, but also to be an intercessory prayer for sinners who still have not fled to Christ, that God would save them, 
that God would deliver them so that they would not be consumed in their wickedness and their sin. And thirdly, the hope that God delivers from Sodom and sin spiritually. Further, Lot was spared while living in Sodom. His wife and his sons-in-law did not heed that call to repent. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. There's a range of all sinners who persist in their sin, not only the, the prominent sins of her day, but he says none of the unrepented sinners will enter the kingdom of God. But Paul goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, because the Lord Jesus Christ has come to save you from your sins, from whatever sins you had in your life, that even though this world rises up against God and is given over to sin, the grace of God is still at work in delivering sins sinners from their sins, and he says, such were some of you. You know where the Lord found you. You know where the Lord drew you from. You know what the Lord saved you out of. And so it is even today, if there's any of you here today that hear this or online, you can know that with the Lord Jesus Christ there is forgiveness from all your sin, whatever that may be, because God says, come to him. And maybe you've been pursuing all kinds of lusts and trying to find that, that inner peace in your heart. Maybe you've tried even to change your appearance this past year, and you tried to identify maybe as the opposite sex, thinking that would give you peace. And maybe you thought that when the government made these laws that now you'd be safe and now you would have peace. But it all leaves you so empty. It leaves you craving something more, doesn't it? That there is no peace, you can find no peace, there is no joy. In fact, there's only remorse and there's only guilt. And you still feel alone and you still feel empty. And that's why God calls you to himself and he says, Come unto me, all you labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. And he says, flee then from that city of destruction. Flee from the destruction to come. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ who can wash you from all your sin, from all your stain, and from all your guilt. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ who can, who can break the power of sin in your life, who can take away that guilty feeling that you have in your heart, who can take away that guilt that stands before God. Because if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he was hung on that cross. And there God rained on him the fire and brimstone of his wrath against all sin. He perished in that city, so to speak, of destruction, so that sinners can now flee to God through him. He is the righteous one. He is the one who rose again from the dead, having overcome sin, having overcome Satan, having overcome all this evil and death. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you also will be declared righteous in Christ. 
Not because you deserve it, not because we deserve it, but only because Christ has earned it in the place of his people. And now he bestows it on his people by his Holy Spirit. And then you will be delivered from the wrath of God. That is fleeing from Sodom. That is fleeing for refuge to God. And then you'll be safe from the wrath of God. And that is where you'll find peace. That is where you'll find hope. That is where you'll find peace with God and joy forevermore. Because there is salvation. There is life everlasting. There is uh, reconciliation with God. There is deliverance from the power of your lust that you could never satisfy. And there is blessing. And that brings us lastly to the hope that you have as Christians living in this ungodly world, in this crooked and perverse world. It shows us, doesn't it, the importance of Christian fellowship in an increasingly hostile world. The importance to seek like-minded believers to support one another. To seek godly children to play with, to seek godly spouses for our children. Do not break the word of God that says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. How vital it is to gather with believers in public worship as we do here and in Christian fellowship during the week. How we must encourage one another to continue in faithfulness and good works every day as we see the day approaching, as we see the world rising up. But it shows us also then, secondly, the importance of Christian hospitality. Lot practiced this duty of hospitality in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. He took in these strangers. He protected them. He fed them. He housed them because he knew what would happen to them if he didn't. That is increasingly important in the day in which we live, because there's places there where it is not safe for people to go. For, uh, there's countries, there's cities where it's not safe for Christians to be. We're called not only to entertain strangers, but to love our enemy. And hospitality is also a means that we use to share the love of God in Christ Jesus to show the hope of everlasting life for sinners. And this is where that book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, is highly recommended for even the day in which we live. Another application is a question that we ask, how then must we live? 1 John 4 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, He says, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. To love Christians, first of all, but also our neighbors. Jesus said, love those who hate you, bless those who spitefully use you. If God loved us with that unconditional love in Christ to draw us out from darkness and sin to Himself, how much reason and compassion should we have to others who are still in that condition? Our heart's desire should be that they would come and see the love of God in Christ Jesus, having compassion on those who live without Christ and who are heading to destruction. The angel said, take them out of this place. Speaking of his sons-in-law, speak to them of God 
Speak to them of sin and of judgment and of eternal damnation, but also of eternal salvation. Even though they will mock many times at the warnings, it's by your love, it's by your compassion, it's by your good works that they can see the goodness of God so that when they see your good works, as we consider from Peter, they will glorify God in the day of visitation, whether that is for their salvation or for God's glory when He finally brings an end to all the wickedness in this world. And so flee. Flee from the wrath to come by fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to lead others to Him by your life. Amen.